Welcome to the Everyman Global Live series and good morning. My name is Egypt McKee and I'll be leading us through a brand new series entitled That Guy. That Guy is a representation of every single man on planet Earth. At some point in time, we will be labeled that guy from a derogatory perspective or we'll be considered that guy from an acclaimed position where we have done something right. What we're going to do here is we're going to take some steps at diving into the lives of several men throughout scripture who have either done some good things, some bad things, but in between them all, God stayed with them. But at the end of the day, we ask ourselves, what does leadership actually look like? What I don't want to do is set an expectation that you think that leadership is reserved for only those in the business or secular community that is somehow a functional topic that we sit down and we learn all the to-dos and if we just execute those things properly somehow we'll come out on top i think we're going to find out very quickly that that's not the message that god demonstrates to us throughout all of scripture but before we get started really what i'd like you to do is download the notes i'm more than just encouraging to i am begging you please download those notes because they hold a very important part of this specific kind of a, a topic in Scripture because there are a lot of off-topic anecdotes, uh, words of encouragement, things that you're not going to find directly in the notes. And I'm going to ask you to actually write down your own perspective, your own thoughts on what that exactly means because at the end of the day, each of us is tasked with, literally called to put in the action the kinds of things that God calls us to. Let me tell you a little bit about myself before we get started because you might be saying, well, who is that guy? My name is Egypt, Egypt McKee. Two names that you probably haven't heard together before. I always say Egypt, just like the country. And before you ask, no, I wasn't born there. But I've been married for 38 years to the same woman, got three adult children, even got grandchildren. And I know some of you may say, hey, you look a little young there. That's because I was married right out of kindergarten, all kidding aside. I love my family. I love the ministry God's called me to. And I love developing and building up others for the kingdom. There's only one real purpose and mission in life that really matters to me, and that is to actually hear the sound of truth, to know it, and then to actually execute on it every single time. Lord knows every single one of us, if we're not kidding ourselves, has regrets of one kind or another, some great, some small, some missed opportunities. But I think what we're gonna find in a topic like this today, a study in a series of lessons is when we look into the lives of five different men throughout scripture, some of them you've heard of before, and notably so because we've heard them as children's stories and children's scripture, and, and we've grown up hearing sermons and, and small group studies on these over and over so we become very familiar with those but i'm willing to guarantee there's a couple you've not even heard of before or you've not seen leadership in what you might consider those who have nothing to offer so let's begin by this one of the things i want to begin with is really meeting you right where you're at today i wish we were all in the same setting so we could actually have a one-on-one -on -one conversation back and forth with one another to really get a clear understanding of who we are, where we came from, what we do as a living. But I think those things are pretty predictable. 
When we think about that guy or the kinds of guys we want to build a team with, we stack our teams with guys with lots of talent. And what is it about talent versus gifts? They really are two different things. Uh, a guy who's talented at strength and running or jumping or, or quick movement or hand-eye coordination, we think that if we stack our teams in favor of the things that we value, somehow in the end we will come out on top. But then there are the other guys, and there's a lot of those other guys as well out on the kickball court who's picked last, maybe some of them not picked at all. And to some degree, you've lived an entire life thinking that you are just less than, not enough of, if I could just be a little bit more of, fill in the blank, then I would have success. Then I would have the acclaim that I've always sought. Well, interesting enough, you're going to find out that the things that I consider to be transactional like that really have very little to do with God's purpose and calling on your life. And it's very easy for us to sit back and think about the guys in life that we identify by what they do or what they don't do. It's a little bit more difficult to look at the guys and say, well, what's inside of them? How come that guy, that leader does a lot of talking? A lot of trash talking, a lot of uh, constant arguing. Uh, he, he leads by way of force or leads by fiat, whereas others seem to be silent and reserved and they lead by modeling behavior that others they hope will find. Well, sooner or later, you're going to find yourself interacting with all kinds of people like that, starting in your own families, starting with your circle of friends, starting with your coworkers and possibly your neighbors. And it's an interesting thing because this concept of leadership is not something that I would want or desire for you to sit back and think that if I just put a, a name tag on my chest, people will then respect me. We know that God has built men. He has designed us with a sense or a need for respect. But sadly, we don't really know who the leaders are in every circumstance, lest sometimes we see them lead others in a way where others follow them. You know, a question was asked of me many years ago. If you think you're a leader and no one follows you, by definition, are you a leader? <laughs> it's an interesting question. It's actually a great question because if I think about I think I'm an influencer or a leader, but no one follows me. No one listens to me. I have to reevaluate what I think or what I thought I was. Reminds me of Denny Green at a press conference many years ago. Some of you remember that. We knew who we thought they were and we let them off the hook. And in the same way, we're going to be faced with in this first study to really look at who we thought we were or who we think we are grammatically to be proper in that context. As I look through culture, culture is littered with leaders everywhere. We've got leaders in our military. We've got leaders in our family. Who runs the house? Is it mom or dad? Be careful that you don't say that out loud with mom sitting next to you or vice versa. Did you know that gangs have leaders? I assure you that gangs don't walk around with name tags. Hey, I'm Joe, the gang leader. It doesn't work that way. Leadership is not just what we think it is in terms of a title or it deserves a certain level of respect. But along 
comes the word of God and we find that leadership is then unraveled, not diluted, but unraveled because what we have seen here in America, and we've certainly seen this uh, globally, is a sense that leaderships are the most outspoken, they're the strongest, they're the smartest, they're the bravest, but we've never really considered the lesser, the unknowns, those behind the scenes, those with gifts that are not meant for the stage or in front of a camera. And what do we do with those? Well, these are interesting times, and I think as men, if we're not careful, we're going to start to build bigger, better versions of ourselves by taking one value and another value and another value from different people's lives, and we're going to duct tape them to ourselves to the point where at some point we have nothing but a garment made of duct tape parts that make us a bigger, more efficient, better version that we hope in the end others will respect. And I want to keep you from falling off of that cliff because that's a dangerous place that I suspect many of us lead today. But before we get into what I consider the what is leadership, because what is leadership is not just a simple sit down over coffee and let's talk about this and I'll give you two or three sentences. You say to yourself, great, I've wrote down some notes, I'll put it in my wallet and I'll be on with my day. You don't know what kind of day I deal with. Listen, I know all of us are busy in one way, shape or form. Even when we're not busy, our minds are busy on overload. So let's begin with the simple question. What is leadership? I want to give you a moment to really think about that for a second because I'm not leading you into a trap question. It's no trickery here. What is leadership? And once you define what you think leadership is, and those of you who are writing down on your notes, write down what you think leadership is. I'm intentionally not filling in the blank and giving you a definitive answer as of yet. We will discover that throughout the remainder of this lesson. But that once you've defined what leadership is, let me ask you, is it important? Is leadership important? I mean, look around. Are you kidding me? Is leadership important? Well, we see the evidences of what life looks like void of leadership. Or we see the evidence of what it looks like to have those in leadership positions who have both leadership, they have power, and they have authority, but they don't execute on any of them, or they only execute on one of them. What does the imbalance of that look like? And then if you've defined that leadership is, yes, it is an important staple in all of culture, in all of government, in all of family, in my life, leadership is important. Because you know, at the end of the day, if no one's going to cook for you, if no one's going to clean for you, if no one's going to be with you, if no one's going to help you in any way, shape, or form, you are going to be tasked very quickly with figuring things out on your own. Now, here's what I find interesting about the male, the man. The man, we spend so much of our time trying to solve problems and trying to build up and in other cases, blow up. And in between this chasm of building up and blowing up, you find us trying to figure out where do we go from here? So I have to then think about the question that is so paramount to all of us that if leadership is important, how do I get it? 
Because if you ask me, is water important? I would tell you absolutely water is mission critical to my life. If I don't have it, I'll die. Well, do you treat leadership in the same way? It is mission critical to my life. If I don't have it, I'll die. Well, then naturally, how do you get leadership? Let me give you that answer. You notice in some ways I'm being cryptic intentionally here. I'm not filling in the blanks because there is a, an expected rhythm and cadence that typically when we hear uh, a message of any kind that we think we are familiar with, that we actually go all the way to the end page and we just read the final closeout notes because there's really not much more you can add to my perspective or my understanding. Well, I'm going to give you the answer of how you get leadership, and this is important. And if you don't understand this, you're not going to not only understand the remainder of this lesson, you won't understand this entire series. Here's the simple algebra that God uses, and I love it. Here's how you get leadership. Give someone an opportunity to lead and fail, all within a protective boundary. Did you get that? I want to repeat myself so that that sinks in and you understand the progression there. Because that progression is going to be used over and over and over and throughout all of these lessons within this series. Give someone an opportunity to lead and fail all within a protective boundary. Now be very careful because giving someone an opportunity to lead involves trust at the very least trust, and fail, well, wait a second. If I'm going to give someone an opportunity to lead and fail, doesn't that imply that there is something called rework that is going to be involved, meaning we have to go back and fix the fault or fix the problem? Well, there are limitations to this that are obvious and to the degree that I shouldn't have to actually tell you if you have an airplane mechanic who is working on your airplane and you give them an opportunity to repair the propeller, or the main propeller, you're not going to do so by providing no boundary, by walking away and just saying, whatever you come up with works for me, and then you get in that airplane and it fails. That's not the place to find out failure. When I say a protective boundary, and when I talk about failures, it's predictable failures that are expected to happen because guess when they first happen? They first happen with you. No one executes tasks perfectly or excellently the first time and every time to the degree where you have nothing to learn from. The learning process for you may have been radically different, but I assure you for others, in your sense of leadership and your influence, it's about digging and unearthing obstacles and distractions that get in their way, and most importantly, the obstacles and distractions that get in your way. Listen, as a U.S. Air Force veteran, I got to tell you, I love the military terms throughout all of Scripture. And the one that really sticks in my mind the most because there's such a visual picture of it is the term beachhead. Are you familiar with this word, beachhead? We don't use it very often in our daily discourse. And there's a reason for it because we, we don't always see ourselves at war. But a beachhead is a significantly important militarily. But did you know that we have beachheads encroaching on our lives 
by our well-known adversary, the liar, the devil of old, he who invented the lie. I mean, what kind of a nameplate is that? The inventor of the lie. Satan himself is constantly trying to establish beachheads in each of our lives as men. Some of you have just come to the place where you're convinced that you have earned your acclaim. You've earned your ascension to a specific position in life, to a specific respect in life, or a specific uh, endorsement of others in life, to some degree that the model of hard work pays off. Well, that model is not constant, nor is it absolute. Because many times, the same measure could be applied to everyone's life. And quite frankly, there are many times in life where God puts us in positions to stand in leadership and in integrity and in character, and it does not pay off. As a matter of fact, there is a punitive uh, punishment that is rendered as re reward in that case. And what a sad reward that we have bought into a worldview or a system of thinking that we think somehow God's word, if I just stay the course, I will get what I want in the end. When in the end, we're going to find out that leadership was never really about what you just do or what's in you. It's who you are. But the beachhead, I love this. The definition of it literally is a position of an enemy shoreline captured by troops in advance of an invading force. I want you to think about the shoreline or the beach. We uh, call those footholds. Now you may be familiar with the scripture in Ephesians 4.27, which simply says, do not give the devil a foothold. Well, why not give him a foothold? Well, because a foothold is like putting a foot in between a door jam, which does not allow you to close the door. You can't close it tight because there's a foot in it. There's a forward position for an invading force that will soon come after and will continue to push and push and push. But did you know that also God has called us as men, that we are too an invading force. We are in this army of God. I think about Jude 27 talks about going into the enemy's camp, literally pulling those out who have been stained by corrupted flesh. And what in the world does that mean? There are times in your life where God calls you to uncomfortable circumstances. Risk reward is out the door. High risk, no reward. Do we naturally jump to those conclusions and jump into those scenarios? Absolutely not. But I'm telling you today, today is going to be the newest day of the best part of your life as you think about and as you pray about and as you look with me in the scripture, where does leadership take us in terms of what I am called to be versus what I'm actually doing. And there's a measurement between the two sides. What I'm called to do versus what I'm actually doing versus who I actually am. So as a setup here, let's go back a little bit because I think in recent history, we learned a lot about ourselves that I'm not I'm not really sure that we learned the best lessons about humanity, particularly as men. As I looked across America, do you remember when we used to measure history in terms of B.C., A.D.? And particularly B.C., and I'm not talking about before Christ, I'm talking about before COVID. You remember what life was like before COVID? It was interesting because 
You know, you could go through airline security without all of the extra pat-down measures and removing of your shoes and your, your coat and your luggage and all of these things. We used to actually go to restaurants and you could sit apart from another person and see their teeth. Like they actually had a mouth with teeth and a tongue and they could talk to you very clearly and you could understand that. We could actually stand next to people, random people. I know it's a bizarre idea. But do you remember what life was like prior to COVID? But I am concerned that we've never really recovered in the sense that we've learned the valuable lessons of what happens when we were all told, forcefully so even, stay home, don't go to the office, don't go to church. If you do go to church, don't sing. All of the don'ts, don'ts, don'ts. And all those don'ts started to add up in ways that our culture is still trying to recover from, and some, regrettably, may never even do so. Things like addiction of every kind, alcoholism, depression, and suicide were increasing at radical numbers. Perpetual fear, the fear of being around people created in those in who used to like being around others, who thought they were leaders. They actually thrived on the the joy of going into an office and being around others and being able to lead people and have that level of communion and fellowship and interaction and quite frankly even conflict all of that was gone in an instant and we were relegated to sitting in front of our own computer screens pretending to be paying attention on zoom and how did that work out for us we created new behaviors all together and you know at the end of the day what concerns me most is that we even have men, many men across the nation and the world, who have not even restored any semblance of basic elements of their faith or their life, returning to church, serving in church, loving their neighbors, loving their family. We've fallen away from our own inner circle within our families. We don't call or talk or text. We have got such a virtual overlaying of what we think it is to become and be a successful man in life, that we're now living lives of fear. Well, this is the story where leadership all begins. God has both defined for us and he's prescribed a very specific prescription for us. And I love this. Read along with me here in Micah chapter 6, verse 8. He simplifies it by simply saying this. He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Did you catch the three-pronged component of what it is that you are required of by God? To do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. We think we can escape the do justly part, but when it comes to loving mercy, do you actually love mercy? Well, wait a second. I, I'm, I, I'm, you know, that's a tough one to really think about for a second. Love mercy when it's so easy to despise rendering mercy to another person. It's easier to just judge them and get them out of my life because we're so accustomed to that transaction of life. Anything difficult, anything opposite of my worldview, discard it and move on and my life will be better. But God shows us continually that our leadership is not about actions and accomplishments. We think of them as if I do, 
And if I accomplish this thing, I just demonstrated leadership. Well, you know what? We also demonstrate leadership when we do nothing. That, in fact, is a form of leadership. It is, in fact, a worldview, and it, in fact, is a position that we take up as a conviction. And it is an unholy place of worship that many find themselves today. Now, dare I say, you know, you get around certain men, and there are these tolerances, there are these barriers, there are these fences that you can't see with the naked eye, but we want to be very careful about what we say to certain men because it just might upset them. And if they get upset, then we have an argument. And if we have an argument that, uh, you know, one of us has to prove our dominance by winning the argument. This is probably one of the greatest Achilles heels in men. We even argue and fight over things that we know were good and well wrong. But for the sake of appearing to be right, we will argue even a point that we don't believe in. Let that not be said of you. So if we are not careful as men, we follow along the to-do path, and we find in that to-do path are a lot of others that are also performing. I just consider it to be a, a level of theater. You're constantly auditioning for God, thinking that somehow God is impressed with your theatrical acclaim, maybe your uh, ability to carry a line or a moment or an emotion. Be careful with that. And when I say be careful, it is meant more as a warning to say, I respect you so much. I refuse to allow you to live a life outside the confines of God's will. So let's begin. That was our setup. Now let's get into the meat. And you didn't come for a burger. You didn't come for a, a little slider. You came for steak. The, the deep abiding word of God that actually means something in a man that very few of us consider worthy of teaching a lesson on leadership. His name was Saul. Some of you have already gone already to the end of the story. I've heard about Saul. I know King Saul. I, I remember him in scripture. Do you? Don't block me out. I'm telling you right now. Saul was an interesting man. And there was much to learn about him. But rather than get into the sum total of his life, we are going to parachute in behind enemy lines, as it were. And we're going to tap into a very brief moment that really began the spark of a lot of the internal character traits, the internal issues that Saul dealt with that would later manifest themselves in a lot of different ways that we can either appreciate or we can despise. So what I'd like to do is very similar to what you do when you see your, uh, you missed your favorite sports game. What do you do? You get the paper or you go, you go online and you go to the box score. So let's go to the box score for Saul for just a second. I just want to recap what happened so that you can see where we're headed. The first is that, did you know Saul was, prior to being appointed king, he was a farmer. Wow, farmer. Well, there are not a lot of guys who are farmers anymore. It seems that we've automated so much of agriculture and it's all run by computers and software and machines and, 
and it's an automated process so much so, but in this day, Saul was a farmer. Back in the day, there was no John Deere tractors. I mean, this stuff was done by hand, hand and animals. And we're talking of the archaic kind. So that was hard work. He lived a simple life, but he wasn't a stupid man. Saul was to be appointed King's Israel's first king. So he would be the first monarch. That's important to note for the simple fact that prior to Saul, you got to think about this for a second. The life of the monarchy was not something that the people of Israel were accustomed to, nor was Saul. He reigned 40 years. Now that's a long time. And that's something to point out because 40 years, you know, it's one thing to have uh, a leader of your nation for four years or five years. And, you know, I'm, I'm tired of this individual. I'm tired of the way things are going. Uh, and then they are reelected. And then you go another four years, another five years. Okay, so what? You've given up eight years, maybe 10 years of your life under leadership of one individual in a democratically uh, uh, elected process for your nation. Ah, what about 40 years? 40 years, 40 years. Well, that's, that's literally half of your life. Are you kidding me? He reigned 40 years, which speaks of longevity. But there are some negatives about Paul, I'm um, not Paul, but Saul. King Saul lacked character, integrity, and leadership. He was a man who was often paranoid, insecure, immature, prideful, irrational, jealous, envious, you know, we could stop there and almost call it a day and say, hey, wait a second, if we put those up on a whiteboard and we stared at those, how many of those would you take down and tape them to your chest and say, eh, that's me, I, I gotta admit, that, that's a little bit me too. I, I'm a bit paranoid or I'm a little bit insecure. I'm a little bit something, something, something. We're all a little bit of this. So when we look at Saul's life, it's not from the lens that, hey, look what this guy did. He did bad. If I do better, I will be in better standing with God. Wrong message. Another thing about Saul is that he was physically a handsome man, but his physical attributes did not match his spiritual attributes. You know, ladies love him. Guys wish they were him. <laughs> and somewhere in between there, just because you look good, just because you are handsome, that God's blessed you with features that others seem to adore, doesn't mean that you have the spiritual integrity, character, leadership to withhold what you think that physical embodiment of you is demanding from the world. The problem with the physical attributes is, is that they're often feeding off what others think of you and that your mood and your temperament is only as good as what others say about you, as we will quickly find out here later in Scripture. Let me read to you here out of 1 Samuel chapter 18, verses 1 through 5. and This helps set the stage a little bit here. So now when he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Saul took him that day, and would not let him go home to his father's house anymore. Then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan took off the robe that was on him and gave it to David with armor, even to his sword and to his bow and his belt. So David went out wherever Saul sent him and behaved wisely. Now this is interesting because if you were to just come in and join us now, you might hear that scripture and think, Wow, are we talking about David or are we talking about Saul? 
believe you me, we are focusing in on Saul. This particular scripture happens to come on the back end after David had killed Goliath. So think about this for a second. Little David, he's the hero. He's more than just the town's hero. Everybody knew what he did, how he did in taking on Goliath in what looked like, and certainly on paper, was an impossible, impossible feat. He should have been absolutely annihilated, but he was God's chosen vessel, and the Lord used David powerfully. So as David is standing before Saul in his palace and he's finishing talking, interesting enough, Saul then pivots to take David into his castle, into his home, taking him away from his family. Some might argue, hey, did uh, Saul, I don't know, kidnap David? Well, no. You think about this for a second. When you have others who may appear to be a good luck charm or some sort of, they just, everything that happens to them is great. And this has never happened in the history of Israel before that they actually defeated those Philistines and the great giant Goliath of Gath. I mean, that's, that's a big dude. And here's David, a little dude pulling out his smooth stone to take down the big dude and cut off his head. Now, that's a, that's a fact. It's kind of gross. Uh, and it, it, yeah, you know, it's not the greatest thing to talk about cutting off the dude's head, but David did. And with, Gath, and with Goliath's sword. So nonetheless, as we press on here, we learn that here it is David now standing before the king. And that is the point. Don't miss the mark that leaders... Don't run from the invitation to be counted for. And what we're going to learn is three primary things from this. So from this point on, I want you to be very careful about what you write down in your notes, what you take to mind as things to remember. Just ingrain them, ingrain them, ingrain them in your mind to the degree that you start to practice them. But your reputation matters. Your reputation matters. Your reputation is not just where you've been and what others say about you. Many of you have heard this before. You're only as good as the last thing you did. So if you know you're an Olympic track athlete and you claim I'm an Olympic track athlete, you know, five years after you've had your last race, it's really hard to claim that with that level of precision and accuracy and accomplishment and joy and passion. Your reputation does matter. Number two, your character matters. Your, your character is not just important. It is truly the sum total of who you are. It's where you're at in life. And you have the opportunity to continue exercising your character, not just what's in you and comes out of you, but it's also what you allow in you to stay in you. You don't want to allow the enemy and his lies to take occupancy of your mind rent-free <laughs> for life, that we will find out is a foothold, a beachhead that we need to do and conduct what I call a spiritual inventory as men and remove those. And the third is this, your calling matters. I mean, that's where you're going. Now, wait a second, you're always going somewhere. Some of you think that you've already reached the top and you're happy, you're content. You might be the man who's literally saying these words to me right now. Man, you don't know who I am. I worked hard to get to this position. I've, I've invested. I've saved. I've done all the right things. I, I feel you, partner. I do. I believe in you more than you can ever possibly know. And we're not even seeing one another face to face. But I, 
I'm here to reassure you and reassert in you. Your calling matters. God is not done with you yet. Until you breathe your last, you've got things to do, places to go, people to see, God's will to fulfill. And listen, don't be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. The scripture doesn't mess around. That's not a fortune cookie saying. That's scripture. Don't be misled. Some, some versions say, don't be fooled. Don't be tricked. Bad company corrupts good character. You know, there was a time in my life where when I was active duty, I'll never forget a particular individual that uh, was a fellow co-worker. We were both active duty. And the way he used to talk just started to work its way in the way I talk. And I started to use terms and phrases differently than I have ever in my entire life because I spent so much time with him in our everyday life of service. And it got to the point where I had to recognize this is not only uncomfortable, this is wrong. I am not this individual, but because their tone, their language, which was broken, it started to spill over into my life. And I had to make a dividing line to say, listen, this is not who I am. I had to make changes to my life to really understand that every choice I made was going to define the kind of person that I was going to be. That is the same message for each of you today. Every choice you make defines the kind of person you're going to be. It just doesn't define who you are. It's what kind of person you're going to be. I mean, do you remember? We learned this early on in our schooling. Every single one of us that's ever gone to school, each of us, we've told, we've been told in one way or another, never cheat. And if you take someone else's work and you copy it and you put your name on it, there's a definition for that. We call that plagiarism. That is wrong and it is punished because you stole someone else's work, placed your own name on it, and then we submitted it as if it were our work. You know what? The culture has changed the dynamics of that very behavior. We now rename it to some degree. We call it benchmarking. Ha! Huh, there's an interesting concept. And some of you in business will say, that's not benchmarking. Well, I beg to differ. We have found very clearly that others have stolen other intellectual properties or they have stolen other works or they have stolen other, other content and then they've placed their own name on it and the next thing you know, they're being rewarded for doing something more efficiently. And if we're not careful as men, that's the very thing that happens to us as leaders or non-leaders. And when I say non-leaders, it's those of us, we are all leaders in one way or another, not exercising your leadership is really being a non-leader. It is the lack of execution on the thing that you actually are. It's the eagle that refuses to fly. It's the lion that refuses to hunt. God created you with a purpose for a purpose. And guess when that purpose is? It is now. It was yesterday and it's still going to be there tomorrow. So as long as you have breath in your lungs, rest assured, God has a purpose to you and for you to be exercised for him that your leadership always draw men back to him. Jesus said, if anyone wants to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. 
I want you to think about what it takes to come after Jesus. There's a price to be paid. Now, we've heard this before, but we don't want to be in a position where we take up our cross and we drag it. And sadly so, as men, when we don't reach our goals, we quickly come to the place where we've got our cross with us, but it's dragging 30 feet behind us. And you know that thing is heavy going uphill, just dragging it through the dirt, the mud, the quagmire, the garbage, the muck in life. And we drag it along as if it is some sort of a burden that God has placed on us as payment for being called the elect. Not so. Take up your cross, deny yourself. That's a key ingredient. And follow me. But he gives more grace. This is what the scripture says, that God opposes the proud, but he shows favor to the humble. And this is where our story begins. Because when you look at the three primary things that I'm about to share with you right now, these three things are the things that establish us as men who are leaders, who exercise leadership, and even more importantly so, who teach leadership. You can say that's through discipleship or through mentoring or through hands-on application. Whatever the case may be, the sum total of your life was never meant to be for your pleasure and yours alone. I love what John 12, 32 says. It says, listen, Jesus says, And I, if I'm lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. Well, wait a second. Well, what does that mean for me? What does that mean for you? Let's be men who lift up Christ. Well, I, live, I work in a place where people curse and swear all from top to bottom all day. And if I do that, I'll be laughed at. If I do that, I'll lose my promotion. If I do that... Well, listen, that sounds like you're now defining precisely what Jesus said about denying yourself, picking up your cross, and following him. Allow Jesus to do the work, and Jesus will get the results if by obedience we do the denying, the picking up of our cross, and following him. And when we do those things, we start to see the movement of God working in a way that has never been done before. Listen, it is not uncomfortable to go to church. It's relatively easy. Get in your car or walk or ride your bicycle, whatever you do to get to church, to be around God's people, that's, that's not hard work. You want to know some hard work is trying to minister to your own family sometimes when you have a, a spouse who is an unbeliever or a child who's an unbeliever or, or gone off the deep end or an uncle or an aunt or a sister or a grandfather or a neighbor. The real hard work, if it's just you, is in exercising your faith with others that God has put in your sphere of influence. That's where the hard work is. But there are some less hard times when we get to fill up, when we get to fill up through opportunities like this to learn God's word, to be around other men who are sharpening us as iron sharpens iron, so does one man to another. When we're studying and praying and worshiping, when we're serving and making someone else's life the kind of life that we position Christ in a way that they are willing to accept and receive him as well. My first point is this. We've got to recognize opportunities to demonstrate servant leadership when it's presented. 
I want to say that again, recognize the opportunities to demonstrate servant leadership when it's presented. In 1 Samuel 18.2, and I read this a little bit earlier, but this is the singular verse I want to focus in on. Saul took him that day and would not let him go home to his father's house anymore. What does this say about leadership? Are we talking about Saul? Are we talking about David? Well, for the moment, let's talk about both. It said much about Saul's leadership that he recognized something inherently, uniquely powerful within David, so much so that he took him from his father's house, brought him into the castle and said, I want this man near me in close proximity. But it also says something about David's leadership. You know, if someone is taking you away from your family, wait a minute, you would likely go kicking and screaming. You would likely go asking all the questions, but, 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 wait, but, but why, 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 why? We'd be asking all those questions about what are you doing? How's it benefit me? What's the time frame for this? We would vet them no different than a purchasing agent really vetting a supplier. We would have a long laundry list of things of, that needed to happen before we comply with any such order. But David demonstrated that leaders are teachable. You need to write that down. You need to inscribe that on your heart. A leader is teachable. And teachable is another way of saying they are in perpetual learning, willing to learn humbled to learn. This is very important. Scripture says in 2 Timothy 4.2, preach the word and be prepared in season and out of season. I love this. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Why is that important? If you dissect that instruction, it first is about preaching the word what does that mean? I, you know, Egypt, I, I wasn't called to be a preacher. I, I'm, a, I'm a CFO, or I'm a small business owner, or I'm a school teacher, or I'm a fireman. What do you mean, preach the word? I'm not an evangelist. I, I, don't, I don't like talking in front of people. Preaching is not relegated solely to your lips and your tongue, and your grasp of vernacular and syntax and the ability to compile phrases and grammar and words and persuade and... No, 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 no. Let's back up for a second in understanding what it meant. To, before you can preach the word, you have to live a lifestyle in a world conviction of worship that is your preaching. That is the preaching that goes before you. And that is not only important, it's powerful. You know, my late grandfather used to always say to me, I'll never forget it because it's the one thing, it's one of many things he used to say that has ingrained in my soul. He always said, Egypt, preach the word. Whatever you do, preach the word. And if you have to, open your mouth. I know that he's heard this in one way, shape, or form in other ways, but it's a very powerful thing when you think about what it means to live a life of evangelism, preaching God's word. Second point is this, remember who you are and where you came from. You've got to know who you are. God has designed you with a specific purpose in mind. Scripture reminds us in 1 Samuel 18, 6 through 9, Now it had happened as they were coming home, when David was returning from the slaughter of the Philistine, that the women had come out of all the cities of Israel, singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines with joy and with musical instruments. So the women sang as they danced and 
said, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. Then Saul was very angry and the saying displeased him. And he said, they have ascribed to David ten thousands and to me they have only ascribed thousands. Now what more can he have but the kingdom? So I, so Saul eyed David from that day forward. So amazingly so, you find out a lot about men and their leadership when others are being praised around them. To fall to a place of depravity and jealousy is not honoring to God, and that is not the mark of a leader. One who comes alongside and lifts up another is. The third and final point is this, represent your holy calling with humility. This is important. 1 Samuel 18, 12, now Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him, but he had departed from Saul. Therefore Saul removed him from his presence and made him as a captain over a thousand and went out and came in before the people. And David behaved wisely in all his ways, and the Lord was with him. Therefore, when Saul saw that he behaved very wisely, he was afraid of him. Now, this kind of fear that Saul had was rooted in jealousy. This jealousy was the thing that David refused to deter from behaving and acting wisely the way that God had established for him. So listen, as we close, God's men are different, and everybody knows it. God's men are different. Not different for the sake of being different, but being that guy means that God's men have a holy conviction of right and wrong, and they live their lives accordingly to that. Your reputation matters. The second is being that guy means that God's men show love and loyalty to, to their fellow men and him in public and in private. This is not a, a matter of keeping quiet the things that God is doing to you. You know, silence may work for a moment, but it is never a strategy. Your character matters. And finally, being that guy means God's men depend on him rather than their own abilities. This is a most powerful trait to understand that we depend upon the Holy Spirit to guide, shape, and move us for the opportunities for the day ahead. Listen, I know I went over. But I got to tell you, thank you for hanging in. The other four lessons will be equally poignant and powerful and moving in your life today. And listen, if you'd like to gain more information about me, find out who I am, just look down in the, uh, the information below. I'd love to be able to connect with you in one way, shape, or form. But as we do this, I want to close out in a word of prayer. Just join me in a quick prayer. Father God, I want to thank you for every ear that has ears to hear, every man that tuned in, that listened to every word. I pray that as they go today, you go before them and give them the power, the strength, and the encouragement to be the man that you've called them to be today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again. I look forward to seeing you in the next lesson. But until then, be encouraged.